morning, everybody. Come on, that's better. That's better. You can be as loud as you like. Uh, where's, uh, there she is. Uh, Joanna, you, you can chirp away as much as you like. Yeah. <laughs> um, not too much, though. Yeah, have the lolly. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, uh, just love it when you guys interact and talk to me. It helps me know I'm not too boring, so it's good. Uh, I am back. Can you tell I'm full of energy? I've had a break. Um, uh, flew Ryanair. Experience. Anybody ever flown Ryanair before? Uh, that was my first experience of that. Um, but we uh, we had a great time. And I went to family, and we spent a couple of weeks there. It was really nice. Um, and I wanted to share with you uh, from my trip one picture. We got to do something really cool. This is uh, me and my wife. Look at my wife. What on earth did she see in me? Look at that. And then. Look at that beach there behind you. I want to share this beach with you. It's called Kaloi Limines. Am I saying that right, Jenny? Kaloi Limines uh, in the Greek. Uh, in uh, English, it's Fair Havens. And in your Bibles, Acts chapter 27, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's on his way to Rome. He's under arrest. And he goes across the south coast of Crete. And he has to stop because of a storm. They stop. And they're on that beach right there. I don't think there was sun lounges back then, if I'm being honest. Uh, but there, there was a beach there. So we went to that beach. Um, it was really cool. It was kind of being still on the beach thinking, Paul's been here. Um, so it was there was something nice about that. Um, and I, I'm sharing a little bit about my trip, but this morning we're finishing a trip um, that Peter's been on. If you remember a few weeks ago, um, I showed you this picture. It's really hard to see names on there, I know. But in Jerusalem's at the bottom here, if you can see the orange line, he goes up to Lydda where he has an encounter with a man who is crippled and he prays for him and he's healed. And then the guys in Joppa, where the pink line starts over there, they hear about it. They send for Peter. He goes to Joppa. And then uh, whilst he's in Joppa, he prays for a woman called Tabitha and she's raised from the dead. And it's incredible. <laughs> He stays there with a tanner. Can't remember his name actually, but he stays with a tanner. And then whilst he's there, he's praying on the roof, and he has this image. You guys have been through this whilst I've been away, haven't you? You have been, yeah, good. Um, and the sheet comes down from heaven. It's got animals in it um, of all different types of animals, and clean and unclean. And in Caesarea, up at the north, there, right at the top of the map, um, he's he has to go to Caesarea, uh, where he goes. Uh, to Cornelius's house, and whilst he's there, uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on these Gentiles, non-Jews. It's life-changing. It's transforming. Uh, the whole gospel message is—it's just crazy. It's this incredible moment. And then the big purple line is his trip back to Jerusalem, and that's where we are this morning. We get to the end of Peter's uh, trip, and we end back up in Jerusalem. And what they're going to be like? Like so many things have happened. Like. Things happened on my holiday. I've just told you one highlight. But so many things happened on Peter's trip. The miracle after miracle that he sees. Do you think the church is excited to welcome him back? And like, woohoo! Wow, I heard you like pray for a woman. She came back from the dead. Heard you pray for this cripple. Heard you, you know, went and preached the gospel. This is amazing, right? No, they don't want to talk about that. They have some compliments. And that's what we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of this morning. Um, but that's been his trip. So he's back in Jerusalem. Um, so why don't we just... Pray one more time real quick, and then we're going to just read Scripture, Acts 11 to 18. If you have your Bibles, 
open them up. If you don't have one, you can get one from the back for free. Um, but I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles. It's really good to see context. Um, Lucy is probably our best note taker in the church. She's writing notes every week. Um, um, and, you know, I just really encourage you, if God speaks, write it down. Um, he loves to keep reminding us of things. We're quite forgetful as people. I don't know if you've noticed. But let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word together, would we have hearts that are wide open to you speaking to us, working in our lives. Lord Jesus, I, I am so bad at remembering what you say to me sometimes. So Lord, would you come and remind me of all that you've taken me through in my life, all the work you've done in my life, but you are not finished yet, not with any, any of us. So Father, would we just be open to you speaking? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, amen. Okay, Acts 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, or down, if you're going off the map, the, cir the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from uh, Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me. He's talking about his brothers in Christ, guys from the church, went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them and he had, he had, come, on us at the, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand? No further objections and praise God saying, so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, that's a lot. Get your head around. I know you've looked at this image that Peter had the last couple of weeks and gone through that. Um, but what has happened clearly is that everything that has happened uh, in uh, Caesarea has spread quite quickly through the region of Judea. And that's not surprising, considering the importance of what happened, but not just the importance of it, <clears throat> actually what the consequences of what has happened could be. So Peter arrives back, uh, and, and in this moment, I, I kind of imagine him walking back in, being me, with a big bushy beard, 
and like bits of a bacon sandwich in his beard um, and a bit of brown sauce. Uh, that, that would be me, by the way. Imagine never having a bacon sandwich in your life. Uh, sorry. Um, but he finds, what he finds is that the church is not eager to celebrate or to share in a bacon sandwich with him. Actually, what they find is that they're not happy with him. And let me explain a little bit here what's going on. So for the last, at least the last 2,000 years, Jews have kept certain customs and laws that have separated them from what they would call Gentiles, people who are non-Jewish. And, and they have identified themselves, rightly so, because they, they are as God's chosen people. Uh, for, for the men, being circumcised, if they want to be obedient to God, was not an optional extra. It was something they had to do. They had uh, laws to follow, customs and laws that were passed down from the time of Moses, that were given to Moses by God, that they had to follow these laws. And, and they identified uh, themselves as God's chosen people. Um, and there's a clear distinction between foods that were clean to eat, not clean to eat. There were people, therefore, who were not clean to be with. And there were people that were okay to be with. Uh, not just their whole life, their whole life, but their parents' lives, their community life, everything about their life was focused towards keeping the law and being separate and being God's holy people away from the Gentiles. Those were the foundational blocks that their life, lives were built on. They were do's and do nots that were very clear. And, and so what Peter's about to walk back into the church and say to them, it, it's not just challenging. Like I could come in with something that's challenging for you. Peter could have done that. This isn't challenging. This is foundationally earth shattering for them. This is a completely different way to reorient it, the way that they think about other people compared to themselves. So Peter's argument it implicitly claimed that Gentiles were full members of the church. Therefore, circumcision didn't need to happen anymore, hallelujah, and keeping the law was unnecessary for salvation. It no longer needed to be, that was no longer the thing that they need to base their whole lives around in order to receive salvation. It was in Christ alone, and that was it. And the Gentiles were kind of signed, sealed, and delivered the proof of that. And, and, not to mention the Jews try, trying to get their heads around what was clean food, what wasn't clean food, and therefore who was a clean person, who wasn't a clean person. We're not supposed to eat with you or be in your home. Well, those rules have disappeared. Can you imagine how mind-blowing that was for them? And, and, and there are huge changes that, that happen, but there are implications too for them to try and figure out. Up to now, um, the, obviously there was persecution right at the beginning of the church and they've had kind of this nice period where they've been allowed to settle, be allowed to figure, figure out where they stand in society and, and Jews would have kind of seen them as a sect of Judaism at this point. They were kind of Jews that gathered, that believed that the, the Messiah was Jesus and, and they were kind of allowed to get on with it to a certain extent. But what we're talking about here is completely upsetting all of that. You, you're going to go and eat with Gentiles. You're going to go, I mean, they're going to lose respect, what respect they've got left with the Jewish community. Think about their parents who weren't followers of Jesus, but were Jewish. And they, they, they would have seen their children or their, you know, their grown-up children to eat with Gentiles. Like, can you imagine the social implications that surrounded this? And uh, so 
uh, to, to bring all this around. Paul mentioned, you know, last week, um, Paul mentioned, he talked about this vision. He said, you know, that they didn't have the New Testament to refer to in terms of what's happening. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the New Testament and see what God's been doing. Some of the Old Testament too. But they didn't have that. They were literally figuring out their theology based on what God was doing right in front of them, right there. But you can almost imagine them in, in this moment trying to think about Jesus, trying to recount how Jesus went about things, looking back at the Old Testament. I know God, Paul mentioned Isaiah last week as well. And Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus would come, he... he gave this prophetic word of how God would fulfill through Israel uh, this, this image. And the Messiah came and made that, made that real. Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The, even the Gentiles will be reached through you as a nation, Israel. And it's because I'm going to bring the Messiah through you, the light of the world. And that's going to be a light, not just for you, but for the Gentiles, the non-Jews too. That's me, that's you. Um, and, and we know that's exactly what happened. And then Jesus, in his final words in Matthew's gospel, we hear the great commission, don't we? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of, say it for me. We'll do that one more time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this heart, this heart that the, that the disciples would go out into the whole earth, um, not just the Jews, Jesus implants that into them there and then. He says, I want you to go, not just to stay where you are, but you're going to go into all nations because salvation is for the Gentiles too. And the good news is that the gospel message is for absolutely everyone. Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says that, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. He says, first to the Jews and then to the Gentile. And we must understand how hard this would have been for them. 2,000 years or more of of just this is how things are. We are separate people. They are Gentiles. We are Jews and we keep ourselves separate. And the Messiah has come to rescue us, to bring salvation to us. They understood that bit and this is how he's done it. But now it's not just... And this is an incredible moment. Um, and they had refused to associate themselves with with Gentiles, to eat with them, to be around them, to listen to their, their, their ways. And there was this clear divide. And time and time again, throughout the ministry of Jesus, what do we see? We see the exact opposite attitude. He didn't care for our social divides, just didn't have any tolerance for them or give them any sort of uh, grounds. He, he, he didn't look for reasons to avoid people. He looked for ways to love them. Let me say that again, because I think it's really important for where we're going this morning. He didn't look for reasons to avoid people. He looked for reason, ways to love them. And think about, you know, one of the most famous encounters Jesus had in his ministry is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And there's this Samaritan woman, non-Jew. She is a Gentile. She is uh, more narrowly a, a Samaritan. 
And Jesus is there near her, near her town. And he sat at a well and the woman comes out to the well and he says to her, hey, uh, could, you, uh, could you give me some water, please? You know, he's, he's pleasant with her. And the woman responds like, a, like if you don't understand the context of what's happening, it sounds a bit odd. He says, she says, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Like she's confused by this Jew. And, and, and it's, you know, if you read the account, it says, for Jews don't associate with people like, like them. We don't associate with Jews, with, with Samaritans. And yet she encounters not just another Jewish man, she encounters the Messiah who is bringing in something completely new, a new culture, a new kingdom. You know, Jesus, he touched and healed lepers. By the way, you don't do that. He touched and he healed them. He went and sat and ate with tax collectors, the lowest of the law in society. The Jews hated tax collectors. They were traitors. They, were, they, they had partnered with the Gentiles to betray their own people, God's chosen people. And yet Jesus said, hey, can I come for dinner? Is that okay? And he went and he sat and he ate with them and constantly people are confused by him. Like, hold on, he's like one of us. He's, he's like a teacher. He's like a rabbi. But yet he's doing all of these things that, we're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to do those things. And all of this uh, division, all of these social rules, uh, all of these things were there in order to discriminate against another person. Jesus just ignored them and, and, and he just loved the people that he met. And scripture, you see, it calls us as his disciples to be the same, to do the same thing. And this is the challenge that was there for the guys in the book of Acts. So Peter comes back and they're like, what are you doing? Like you're, you're eating food that you shouldn't be eating. You're, you're eating in the house of Gentiles. Like, what are you, what are you, do you understand what the rules that you've broken? Do you understand you don't do that? Do you understand the social implications this could have on us as a church? And they're like confused. And they're not able to think about it in the way that God has revealed it to Peter in that moment. Their minds are just blown, right? Galatians 5 verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus there is neither circum circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. They're, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Scripture tells us that these divides that we allow, that, put in, that we put in place are not okay. When it comes to being followers of Jesus, all the things allow to divide us a second to knowing Jesus. Second, always. Our skin color, the political party that you choose to vote for, the differences in our backgrounds, where you were born, where you went to school, which football team you support. You, if you're an anti-vaxxer, if you're vaccinated, none of that matters compared to knowing Jesus. None of it. And there is so much discrimination and, and this prejudice has no place in the kingdom of God. No place. We are all made in the image of God. We are all unbelievably valuable to him. We are all sinners saved by grace and you are all welcome into his kingdom. 
John 13, 34 to 35 says, a new command I give to you. This is what Jesus says to us, his followers. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you love one another, our attitude towards the world and those who do important. Do you know that? The way that we treat people is so important. And, and, and scripture is really clear on that, that there's no room for discrimination in our hearts. There's no room for prejudice or for elitism, whether it be racial, whether it be national, whether it be cultural or social. But I think the reality is, is that in today's society, you can say amen if you with this, I think we're just as bad as we have ever been in terms of prejudice. Am I right? Like the world is so polarized at this moment. You're either on this side or you're that side. You either agree with this or you disagree with this. And you know, I read this the other week, I thought it was really interesting. Do you know that Gandhi, Gandhi, who would go on to be such a significant world leader, wouldn't he? He read the Bible and he loved it. Um, and he even was seriously, at one point, he writes about how he was weighing up becoming a follower of Jesus. The problem was, though, that he experienced such prejudice, such bias, that he concluded, he wrote this, he said, I, I like the New Testament. I like your Christianity, but I don't like your Christians. You know, there was something so unappealing about it for him. Everything about Jesus was appealing, except the people who claimed to follow him. And I, and I want to talk for a minute. I want to, I'm going to get into something here. I'm not sure I should be, but I'm going to because Ginny's prayed that I should. I want to talk about social media. Uh, yeah, I know. Social media. Okay, uh, I'm not on social media uh, for, for my own personal reasons. And don't get me wrong, the church on social media, we use it as a platform to share things um, that we think people want to know about. Um, and I know that many of you are on social media and social media can be good. It can be social. So often we find that it's antisocial. And here's, here's my issue that I have. And this is why I think that the reason why this, our society is becoming so polarized is partly due to social media. It's a huge part of it. Actually. Uh, so, so socially, here's the thing. Um, Say, for example, back when things were good, uh, like 20 years ago before social media was really a thing, I still remember it, it was brilliant. And if I had an issue with somebody, say, for example, I disagreed uh, with who they were voting for. Say they were voting for yellow and I was voting, voting for you know, blue, whatever. And they were voting for their party, I was voting for my party. I agreed with my politicians stand on things, they agree with theirs. Here's the thing, socially, Back in the day when life was good, I would have to, if they were going to find out about what I thought about their views, I would have to tell them to their face or in a social group of people. And what I said, I would see the response of. Does that make sense? So I say to them, you're an idiot for voting for that party. Why on earth would you vote for them? I disagree with that completely. Now, what I say, I see the words, the impact that those words have on that person, right? I see that. Now, the problem with social media is, is that all of those social cues, all of those social boundaries, they're lost. There's nobody, there's not like a friend going, hey, that was a bit harsh, right? 
Like I am my own person on social media, unaccountable. Some people even have two accounts. So they have an anonymous one so they can say what they want to say online without anybody knowing who they are. And social media, or anti-social media as we call it, it, it divides us in a way that we can say what we want and the effect of what we've written, what we've said to that person for their beliefs or for what, how they look or how they grew up or what their social uh, thoughts are on something. We say what we want, actually we don't have to deal with, right? I've put it out there, if you don't like it, you can lump it. Well, actually, that's not our heart or our attitude at all. I want to talk into social media and I want to say we need to be so careful that we don't participate in saying things that actually just separate people. The moment that we think that our upbringing or our skin color or, or what we believe or what political party we vote for or who we are in Christ actually gives us any type of leverage to devalue that human. The moment we enter into James 3, in, uh, James in chapter 3, verse 9, says, With the tongue, we praise God our Father. That's our job, right, as believers. With this, and with it, we also curse human beings. And let's remind ourselves of who they are. They are made in the image of God. They are made in the image of God. Who are we to devalue them, to marginalize them, to pretend that we're somehow superior to them. And actually that has no place in Jesus time and time again in scripture. We see he just loves people. He cares for them. He's not interested in following these social rules of I am superior than thou. Purely I just want to love on you. Romans 15, seven to nine says, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. I'm going to pause there. He accepts you just as you are. He loves you just as you are. In order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. What a difference it makes in the world when as believers, we look at people with hearts that are inclusive, open-armed, optimistic and loving and courteous and caring, just like Jesus is towards us. Just how he loves you, that's how you're called to love other people. When we were sinners, Christ died for us. Billy Graham said this, he said, he said, God's role in life <laughs> is to judge. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring conviction. Your job is to love. I'm going to say it again. God's job is to judge. The Holy Spirit will convict. Your job is to love. You know, at times I find myself getting this so wrong. Like, I find myself judging and convicting in my heart. And, and in the moment, in that moment when I overstep, when I show prejudice, when I, when, when I pretend there's some sort of elitism in my life, actually what I'm doing is way overstepping my qualifications. 
I'm not qualified to judge. I'm not qualified to convict. I'm only qualified to love. That's it. And this encounter between Peter and the church, it reminds us that God, he wants to instill in us a heart towards the world. His heart is that no one would perish. Nobody. And regardless of who they are, what they believe, what they've done, what they look like, God, God's love is for all. The gospel is for all. And that is the good news that Peter gets to go back and share. And how do they respond? In an outpouring of praise. Man, oh man, God is good. And if we're not careful, this is the problem. If we're not going to happen is, is we become unchangeable. Actually, our way of doing it, our belief system is unchangeable. We're inflexible. We're tolerant of other people or what they believe, or where they come from, or, or what we think about them. And what happens then is we become uncaring towards other people. And when that happens, God is unable to use you anymore. You know, when I planned this sermon series um, at the beginning of the year, I, I wrote a script down like a name for this um, talk. And I thought, I'm not sure if I like it, because I thought I'd probably go back and change that. But I named it Out of God's Way. And I thought, this is a little bit aggressive. Like, God's not going to like you know, throw you out the way if you get in the way, you know, like, it's not like that. But actually, I think it, it, it's perfect for what I feel God wants to say to us this morning as I finish. In this moment, and, you know, we're going to finish by praying that division, get out the way. Bias, get out of God's way. My preconceived ideas of other people groups or other people even in this very church, my preconceived ideas of who they are or what they're about or I don't like them because they did this. Actually, they can get out of the way. My judgment, my prejudice, out of God's way. Because just like on that day in the house of Cornelius, God wants to move in the lives of those who do not yet know him. He wants his spirit to move powerfully. And if Peter allowed his prejudice to stay in the way, if he, allowed, if he allowed everything that he thought about another people group to stand in the way that they, God can't use them, God can't save those people. If he allowed that to stand in the way, then, God, then he wouldn't have witnessed what God was about to do in that house. And I don't know about you, but I want God to move here. Therefore, my prejudice, my belief system about other people, what I've already judge people for being it needs to get gone get lost get out of God's way because I want him to move through me in me and work through throughout throughout this church amen come on Joanna come on amen yeah God wants to bring not just people like me to himself not just the people that I'm okay with, not just the people who think the way I do, eat the way I do, talk the way I do, look the way I do, but all people made in God's image to himself. And I need to get my junk, I need to get my rubbish, and I need to give it a good kick out the way because God is moving. And, I, and like Peter said on that day to, to the church, who was I to stand in the way of God? I need to get out the way. And we have this promise, don't we, of eternity. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're not going to ask the band to come back up. We don't have time because uh, the kids, workers will be 
uh, overstretched. But we're going to pray and we're going to take communion together. And we have this promise for all of eternity. It says, after this, I looked and there before me, with this promise of glory, don't we? Before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, people and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, <laughs> righteous and clean. And they were holding palm branches that remind you of anything. Jesus coming into Jerusalem in their hands, singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes my king. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And one day you will stand next to people of every tribe, every nation, every language, and all of those tongues will be singing, worthy is the lamb on the throne. He is the king of kings. He is the king of my heart. Everyone. We're going to finish by taking communion together. Um, let, let, I just encourage you to stand. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you didn't show any partiality. You had no bias, Lord, because if you did, no one would be good enough for you. <laughs> you simply loved me even when I was still far from you. When I was still a sinner, you died in my place. And Lord, as we take communion together as a church, um, Lord, I pray that you would come and speak to us about your love for us, that you died on the cross, your body broken, your blood shed for, for us. Lord Jesus, who are we to stand in your way? And Father, I pray and thank you that you want to move powerfully among your church and among the people of Darlington and beyond. Regardless of their Around, regardless of who they are, what they've done. Lord, your love is for all. The gospel message is good news for all people. Holy Spirit, I need you to come and work in my life because it's only possible through you, Lord. So Father, I pray that as we take communion together, that I would remind myself that, Lord, you love me just as I am and you're calling me to love others just the same. Lord, if we need to repent of anything, perhaps you have that second social media account so you can say what you like without people knowing who you are. If we need to repent, Lord, of our bias, of our prejudice, would we do that? in a very honouring way to you, Lord. Give you our hearts afresh. And Lord, I thank you that through your blood, we find forgiveness. Not just a you know, hope that you forgive us, Lord, an assurance that we are forgiven.